1: For all things Nature Reliance School, go to naturereliance.org. You can find our weekend courses, our online Zoom classes, blogs, other podcasts, and great gear. Again, naturereliance.org. If you have spent any time in the woods, you have probably encountered an event where things could not be explained. We often hear these while sitting around a campfire at night, just in time for bed. Today, Craig Cottle brings us a true story of such an event. Hey there, and welcome
0: to another Nature Alliance Media Podcast with me, yours truly, Craig Cottle, for another Craig's Campfire Chat. Just going to be straight up honest with you what our intent was with Craig's Campfire Chats, is to utilize Nature Alliance Media to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. <laughs> it gives me the freedom to do, to do that. Because for you, for me, for any of us that have spent much time around a campfire, you know just about anything can come up as a topic of conversation. And so what I wanted to do was utilize the C- Craig's Campfire Chats as an opportunity to do exactly that. It may not fit into the typical, I don't know, way or topics that we do at Nature Alliance Media, but that's what it's here for. Now, with that said, I love talking about things that happen in the outdoors, and so I don't see a strand too far from the nature related topics. With that said, I have a very interesting story for you today, or at least what I think is an interesting story. I'm not a big fan of, in general, At and around the campfire, especially with children, I'm not a big fan of telling ghost stories. Let me explain why, but I'm going to tell you one today. (laughs) So the reason I'm not a big fan of telling ghost stories is because it's just what I would consider an unneeded fear of things that happen in the outdoors to people when you're trying to impress upon them to enjoy the outdoors. Therefore, I'm not a big fan at nature Reliant school classes and stuff of that nature, unless it's something with, you know, a level two class where everybody there is, you know, spent some time outdoors and knows what they're doing and feels comfortable of telling scary stories. But I'm going to tell one today. And the reason I bring this up is I jumped on to our Nature Reliance School community education group on Facebook and said, Hey, Tracy has been on me about doing another Craig's Campfire Chat and needs some ideas. And two of the suggestions had to do with just tell a story And one of them from my friend Al Dyer. Uh, Al's a good dude. He said this as a suggestion. A weirdest or most unexplainable thing you've ever experienced in the woods. And then another one from Clark Pelfrey suggested a scary or spooky story. Real or fiction does not matter. Well, this particular story is going to do both. It's going to cover both of those suggestions. Now, the people... If you are one of the other people that offer suggestions, these are great suggestions. And I'm going to cover all these because I love these. Uh, my buddy Daniel put up, what's my favorite trip west of Mississippi? I'm going to do a later podcast on my trip to Alaska. A lot of different things happened on that trip that are just awe-inspiring, hilarious, and uh Yeah, a lot of stuff. Tiffany put up, our good friend Tiffany put up, good hunting story around a campfire. Food and hunting stories is what I instantly think of when someone says campfire. That's what she suggested, which is fantastic. We'll do that too. And how about an original fictional story? Isaac, our friend Isaac on the group suggested that. And I'm actually writing a fictional book that I think would be worthy of the podcast. So I'll share some stuff there. And then Nick Ryan said, Man, nothing beats telling stories about the trouble you caused in the glory days. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go there or not. But with that said, I'll probably do that too. I'll find one that I feel comfortable telling because there's, there's more than a few (laughs) of that. So with that said, before we get into this story for today, I wanted to call your attention to the links below for our sponsors and affiliates. Uh, We've had a really fantastic run with Vital Survival and Outdoor Core. So check out our outdoor core classes. And a big thing I want to bring attention to, if you go to our website and look at the classes menu on the top of the website, there are some live stream classes there. Most of those that we do are in Zoom. Check those out. That would be another fantastic sponsor for this podcast. Tracy and I have been doing a host of different topics there. Again, Tracy and I both really just love helping people and uh, get outside enjoy their time when they're outside do it safely and return home so they can go back and do it again and we're doing all sorts of different things with those zoom topics but with that said check those out because that really helps support what it is that we do here on the podcast and we greatly appreciate it appreciate you for doing that with that all said let's get into this story now a little background for this story will help but for those of it that know me, Craig Cottle, and what it is that I did growing up and, and all the things I did with my family as my children were growing up is, is probably worthy of mentioning for this story. And the main thing is that when my wife and I were raising our children, we homeschooled them. Definitely not for everybody, but it definitely was for us. And it worked well for us in what it is that we wanted to instill into our children. One of the things that comes along with being self-employed and basically having a one-income self-employment household and Jennifer, who did 98% of the education of our children, she did not have time for a job outside the home because she was busy 24 hours a day basically taking care of kids in the way that we wanted our kids to be taken care of. And again, not the way everybody does it, but it's the way that works for us. With that said... We just didn't have a lot of money for entertainment and vacation. We just didn't go on vacation, so we just didn't have the money for such things. But what we did have the ability to do is enough money sometimes. I remember grabbing change from what we could gather around the house and in our vehicles and putting enough gas to go somewhere and get in the woods. And so we spent a lot of time in the woods with our kids, allowing the woods, wilderness, forests, open fields, ponds, creeks, lakes and places like that to be the entertainment and the amusement parks for our children. And this story comes from that background. I had actually come back from a course. I had studied survival with Mr. Richard Cleveland down in North Carolina. Richard's a super guy. He's got a, a fantastic school himself down in North Carolina called Earth School. If you ever get a chance to go down there and train with Richard, I recommend doing so. He's an interesting fellow. He does things quite a bit differently than I do at Nature Reliance School but he's got a good way of doing what it is that he does and so i I hold mr cleveland richard up high esteem because he taught me a lot With that said uh, one of the things that he focused a lot of attention on was a debris hut so i wanted to take the kids out and we were going to make a day of building a debris hut we went to this area the area for those that are local here in central kentucky you may know of this area it's up around cave run lake it's an area called the goose flats if you go on more developed side of the lake of Cave Run Lake, you'll see a couple uh, marina there and some businesses and Twin Knobs campground and uh, and places of that nature. And down the road, there's this area called the Goose Flats. Well, right in front of the parking lot at the Goose Flats is a pond where Canadian geese come in and they do their thing. Well, across the road, if you're not aware, there is a big holler. For those that are new to southern things, holler is like a valley, if you will, or a hollow. There's a long holler there that has just tons and tons of ponds in it, leading all the way up through this particular holler. Geese come in and do all sorts of things there. They feed and they, uh, they mate and have babies and all sorts of things. It's a really interesting uh, system that the Daniel Blue National Force has set up for these geese. Well... Like most things around Cave Run, there's a lot of – Cave Run Lake, that is, for those that are not local, was a lake that was and basically an impoundment that was made to uh, try to control the flooding problem that was due to the Licking River downstream, particularly in Falmouth, Kentucky, and other areas that are downstream on the Licking River. They continued to flood. So one of the things they did is they built Cave Run Lake to bring in tourism dollars into that area, which was an underserved part of the state as well as control flooding downstream of it. In doing so, and a lot of this is done when, like my dad, I'm 51. My dad is, I don't know exactly how old my dad is. I know what his birthday is, but I don't know how old he is. But nevertheless, a lot of this happened when my dad was a young man and saw a lot of this happening. There are a lot of small towns that are basically under what is now Cave Run Lake, like Zilpo Campground, the community of Zilpo. There was a post office and everything there. There was... Uh, all sorts of communities that are underneath of Cave Run Lake. And because of that, there's also a bunch of cemeteries throughout the Daniel Boo National Forest in that part of the world. One of the things that we did as a family, because, again, we were homeschooling, we would oftentimes go to cemeteries, developed ones, and if we happened to put them in the National Forest, what we would do is we'd get the names off of different headstones, and then the kids would do research and try to figure out who it was that was buried there and what their family was and maybe a family history. And it was just a good way. Um, it may seem a little weird to some people, but it was a good way to, for the kids to start to develop an understanding of history. Because some of these graveyards, particularly in the Daniel Boone National Forest, were, you know, late 1700s, if not early 1700s. It's just basically a burial ground. It's not necessarily a cemetery of sorts of, in any stretch and definitely a lot of graves there from the 1800s. I had spent some time doing some grouse hunting up in this part of the world uh, many, many years before the children, my, ch- my kids were born. And I had come across a cemetery there. We went out to build this debris hut, and the, and we had a good time, and the kids kind of got, well, we had a good time. We built it. We didn't build us an exceptional debris hut. We built enough to take a couple pictures and have fun and all that kind of stuff. But the kids wanted to move on and do something else. I said, well, let's go down here and check out this uh, cemetery. It's just down the road. And for those, again, that are familiar, you can can go check this out yourself. If you park at the Goose Flats and walk across the road and walk down the four service road, there's a, a 90 degree turn to the left and not too far down the left. Right before you get into this clear cut area, clear cut, there's a bunch of small poplars and stuff. I can still see it in my mind. I haven't been there in a There's a little embankment that goes up, and if you climb up the embankment, it's kind of steep. You almost have to scramble up it. As soon as you get on top of that embankment, you can't see the headstones from the road, but when you get up and level off, there's a small little graveyard there. I don't know if the road went through it or it went right next to it. I'm assuming the the old road that was in the area probably went right next to the cemetery. Nevertheless, I said, let's go down and check this out. We're walking down through there. And we're walking, literally walking right down a gravel logger road. We're not, I mean, we're not far from the main road at all. It's not even a half a mile down through there. And just as we're about to get to the cemetery, I hear something in the cemetery take off running. And so I was a little concerned. I didn't know what it was. You know, I just assumed it was a deer that had bedded down in the area. And when I say cemetery, I'm not talking about a cemetery that you might see near a town. I'm saying... This area where these headstones are probably covers, I don't know, 30, 40 feet by 40 feet. 40 feet by 40 feet, let's say that. Again, I'm going from memory here from several years ago. I scrambled up and I could see out past the cemetery, for those that are trackers, I could see probably, I don't know, 20 yards out past the cemetery leading out into the forest and away from the road, I could see some fresh sign. And if you're not a tracker, you don't spend any time doing that sort of thing, basically sign is just an indicator that something, something has passed through there. And whatever it was that I had heard, I could see that it had left some sign. And as I'm looking at it again, what I would consider a fair piece from me, I really couldn't tell what it was. Again, just at this point I'm assuming it's a deer. I get the kids and they're climbing up and they're again they have to scramble up the hillside to get up to the cemetery and they're kind of you know, they're little kids at this time. This is probably wow. Probably 15, 16 years ago when this this happened. I get them up there and we're kind of looking at a we're looking at headstones and trying to decipher they're so old you can't really read much on them. And as I look over, I notice that, I should have mentioned this. This is important. This is probably one of the most important aspects of this. It started raining as we walked down the road. And I'm not saying like a heavy rain. It was just like a light rain, but it was steady. Meaning that, you know, for us, because we spent so much time outside, that that was not an issue for us. I mean, we were used to being in the rain. The kids had little ponchos, and and Jennifer and I sometimes had rain jackets. Sometimes we didn't because we just didn't really care. And if it was a situation where we were out far, we might have had better situation and everything. But we weren't far from the vehicle at all, so it wasn't that big of an issue. So it starts raining. We just continue on again. We never blinked an eye. We just kept rolling on with the kids. Kids love playing in the rain and the puddles and all that kind of stuff. So that was not an issue. So we get up there, and as I'm walking through this little small cemetery, I look at the end of it, the end where the sound that I had heard that went out into the forest and then again where I saw the sign on that end of the cemetery. And I noticed that there's a headstone there and I noticed that there's something odd about the ground around the headstone. And so I'll walk over there to it and it's, it's concerned me a notch and I got this weird jacked up feeling. I'll just tell you, I mean, it just, there was something about it. as soon as I said, laid eyes on it, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And as I'm looking at it, I'm, you know, I'm, Fancy myself a bit of a tracker, so I'm looking at this and I'm studying it, trying to figure out. You know, there's something odd there. You know, in tracking we call it baseline versus disturbance. There's something about the baseline that's different. Everything there looks a certain color and a certain has a certain variance to it or a certain value to it. But there's a spot right next to the headstone that looks different. It just looks weird. It's just disturbance, what we call disturbance in tracking. I actually, was concerned enough that I told the kids to. To go over there with her mom, and she was at the other end. She was actually looking at a headstone. I can see them doing this right now. It's kind of wild that I visualize this, just like it was yesterday. And so she went over, or the kids went over. Lily and Zane went over to her, and they're just kind of playing. I'm not letting on that anything's going on. And when I get over and stand right next to the headstone, I realize that there is a dry spot right next to the headstone, meaning whatever was there that I heard run off into the woods was laying right next to this headstone. As I got to it, which is about, you know, just a minute before this, it took off into the woods. It had been gone such a recent time that the leaves that were surrounding the area, the baseline, were dark because of the moisture from the rain. But the area right next to the headstone was really light colored. I can see it right now like it was yesterday. And so I started looking at it, kind of studying it, and then just all of a sudden, the picture of what was lying there jumps out at me like, like hits me in the chest, like hits me like a, somebody had thumped me in the chest. And I realize that there is an outline of a human body right next to that headstone. Yeah, let that sink in a little bit. Let me, let me go back. There's no vehicles in the area. Nowhere. We're the only ones out there. It's raining. Very few people like to get out in the rain. So there's there's nothing there. Nobody is there. Nope, Well, at least we didn't think there was anybody there. I'll put it that way. I'm looking at this outline going, okay, I'm making that up in my head. And then I call my wife over to look at it. And as she looks at it and she she's just, as soon as she sees it, she sees the outline of the body. And when I say the outline of the body, it was somebody that had laid down next to the headstone, facing the headstone, and they were curled up almost like in a fetal position, because you can make out the feet, you can make out the legs that were bent, you can make out their arms that were closer to the body, and you can make out their head. Again, outlined, it was the disturbance of the area because there was no moisture on the leaves. I literally put my hand down in that whole area and felt, and everything was just only slightly damp because at that point it had had about a minute of rain on it. And this was underneath leaf canopy, so there wasn't a lot of moisture hitting the ground anyway. So doing what I normally do, I had to track it a little bit I had to try to figure out what was going on. One of the things that we tell our tracking students all the time is or ask our students all the time is, "Can you make it human because if you're out tracking oftentimes it's easy if you're if you're tracking humans, for example, to get off on a deer trail or see some a turkey scratching or something of that nature and and it gets confusing and so Oftentimes what we'll do is I'll ask our tracking students, hey, can you make that human? As I get to walking out towards that sign that I saw when I first walked up there, I get out to it. It's without a doubt, without a doubt, 100%, well, I should say 99% confident that I'm looking at a human footprint. It had no tread pattern. It 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 was mashed down into the leaves, so there's not a whole lot of tread pattern that I could pick up. So another thing that we ask our students to look at is size, type, and pattern. And I would almost call this a bare footprint because I could make out one of the toes as if there was some kind of definition from an actual human toe, not the toe of a shoe, an actual human toe. That was about it other than I could make out the outline of the foot itself in the baseline, in the leaf litter on the ground. I just got, I'll be honest with you, I got the most uncomfortable feeling sitting there realizing that somebody was laying in that graveyard next to that headstone, took off through the woods, left enough sign that I could track them, and there was no vehicles anywhere in the area. None. And there's no homes in this area. nowhere. Well, there's one maybe a few miles away, two or three a few miles away, but nothing really close at all. So, the question that remains to be known is, What made that outline next to that headstone? And I'll be frank with you. As Al suggested, here's his question again. What's the weirdest, most unexplainable thing you've ever experienced in the woods? I've got several. This might actually be a series, but that's one of them. To this day, I still don't know what it was that made that outline. I don't know what it was other than I felt comfortable saying that it was human that made that track line going out into the so what do you think? What do you think? You've probably picked up this podcast on our blog or maybe on social media somewhere. If you have a guess or if you've seen anything like this, here's what I want you to do. Comment on it and let me know. You can send a message to us here on Anchor if that's where you're listening. You can always send me an email at info at You can comment where you see this on Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is that you're going to see this or hear this. Thanks, Al, for the idea. the podcast really appreciate it and with all things nature line school come on join in let's learn about the unexplainable together
1: if you like this podcast and others please consider helping us out there are three free ways of doing that number one hit that follow or subscribe button that helps us out greatly number two share if you know someone family or friend that might be interested in this podcast please let them know. And number three, feedback. We want to hear from our listeners. Let us know what you like and how we can improve, as well as letting us know what topics you want to hear. Until the next episode, get out and enjoy nature.